Advent is framed around two stories that are very, very familiar. They're both birth stories. And it doesn't start in Luke 2. It starts in Luke chapter 1, this huge, long chapter. And, of course, we see uh, Gabriel visiting Mary and telling her what's going to happen. But before then, we see something else. We see John the Baptist's origin story, if you will. Uh, John the Baptist had two really great parents. They were old. They were Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were old. And uh, th this story begins that he is, Zachariah is, is a priest uh, without, without children. This would have been a very difficult thing. Barrenness in any age is extremely difficult. It's heartbreaking. In this culture, it would have been especially bad because in addition to the general heartache, there were practical concerns. And one of them would have overshadowed lots and lots of things because children were the way that you would be okay when you get old. There was no social services or no social security. There wasn't anything like that. The children took care of the parents and that's how, that's how that society worked. So if you didn't have children, your whole future was cast very much in doubt. Well, beyond that, there was social ostracism too. Like the, the, the common, sort of common knowledge, common wisdom was that if you didn't have children, you were cursed by God. So clearly you did something wrong. Now imagine living under that. It'd be a hard thing. You did something wrong. So in addition to the heartache, you had like suspicions, like what was their sin? Well, Luke is very gentle here, and right off the bat he tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were walking in uh, uh, in, they were bl walking blamelessly in the law of God. That doesn't mean they never, ever sinned throughout their whole life. But they were walking in obedience to all the things God had told them. In other words, psst, hey, reader, it wasn't their fault. And I know sometimes that kind of nonsense still floats around today. When people always presume, hmm, if you're sick, hmm, you don't have kids, hmm, you know, what is it that you did? And it's really sad how quickly we can default to being the friends of Job. But Luke says this is not the thing. These were good people. And, and the story picks up where Zechariah visits the temple in Jerusalem. Now, he was a, he was a priest in the order of Abijah, and his, his wife even, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. And so they had, they had good pedigree in a day where all of the traditions were pretty much lost. I mean, this was the third temple in Jerusalem. The first two had been destroyed. People weren't following lineages anymore, and there are all kinds of priests that weren't uh, uh, descendants of Aaron. You know, the king wasn't a descendant of David. He wasn't even really a king. Tradition was pretty much lost. But here you have two that have the pedigree and are wonderful people, and they're down in Jerusalem now uh, to, do, to, to serve the temple. And here's how this worked. There were way too many priests. <laughs> they did not need, one historian said, 18,000 priests. You don't need that many to take care of the temple. That's enough for, you know, a good-sized city. So what they would do is they would take shifts. They would take two weeks out of the year, and they would be assigned to come down and do the duties. It was almost like uh, being in the National Guard. So Zechariah had his, his two weeks, and, and he, was, he was down there. Now, they had certain tasks they would all do, and then certain ones that were considered a very high honor that you'd have to get chosen to do, and they would, they would actually cast lots to find out who should do this because it was like leaving it in God's hands. It sounds... 
very sketchy to, to most of us today probably, but that's what they did. And the lot fell on Zechariah. He was chosen. This would have been probably the only time in his life this would have happened. This would have been an incredible honor for a priest of God to go into the holy place and to light the incense. Like an incredible honor. And this probably was, you know, like the highlight of his entire career as a priest. The best day of his life this man who was thought to be cursed. He goes in and he lights the, the incense in the holy place. And suddenly, things get weird. His light starts shifting and, and, and then he starts screaming. Just starts screaming. Nobody's there to hear him. And the angel's like, hey, don't, don't be afraid. By the way, Angels always start with do not be afraid. And I think there's a reason. And I think the reason is they don't look like they do on our nativity scenes. You know? They don't have the long flowing hair. We did a play a few years ago where, where Gabriel was, uh, Gabriel himself, we called him, it was Josh Gillette wearing this lovely flowing wig and sort of a play on that. You know, it's just like, but I don't think they looked like that. They must have been scary because every time they appear, they're like, okay, 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 okay. Like, I picture Michael the archangel being scary. You know, he's got an eye patch and a battle axe. We know that. <laughs> Maybe a lightsaber. Like, we can picture that, right? Four wings that are, yeah, like, he's scary. But you think Gabriel should be relatively safe. No, no, no. Gabriel terrified Zechariah. Do not be afraid. Okay. And here's what he tells him. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. He's an old man. I, I, I don't know for sure, but I really don't think he was still praying for this. Like, I think he was probably like, that was an old prayer. I mean, yeah, back in the day, back before the false teeth and all that, we prayed that a lot. But man, we know biology and this ain't possible anymore. And he says, yeah, it is. God's going to do this. Here's what he tells me. You're going to call your son John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy, and not only you, many will delight in his birth. He will achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival, his advent in the style and strength of Elijah. Soften the hearts of parents to children and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. He will get the people ready for God. Whoa! Whoa! And, and uh, Zechariah hears all of this on the best day of his life and the scariest day of his life. Now he hears the most insane, ridiculous message that can't possibly be true. And he's like, I... And he says, do you expect me to believe that? I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman. And Gabriel does this. <laughs> like, Gabriel gets offended. He's like, I'm Gabriel. Come on, man. Don't you, like, what, what do you see in front of you? I'm Gabriel, the sentinel of God. I come from, from, from the throne room. Yes, that throne room. <laughs> I, I came 
from, from God himself, but because you won't believe me, Zachariah, boop, you can't talk. That's right. You're going to be mute. Yes, you're going to be mute until your son comes because I tried to give you this great and incredible news and you're like, me, 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 me. So now, ha Like Gabriel's like upset with him. I love it. it. To me, it's just, it's funny. And then Zachariah, when he finally leaves, people are like all concerned, like what's going on? Why is this taking so long? He finally leaves. He's going, he runs out and they say, what's the matter? And he goes, like, oh, great, Zachariah went mad. He goes home, and, and, and you know, he, he lights the candles, and yada, 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 Elizabeth gets pregnant. And he looks at her stomach and says, and then the waiting begins. I think it's very appropriate that Advent is, 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 you know, framed by these birth stories because we know there's a lot of waiting involved, a lot of preparation involved. Now, my wife and I have five kids, and uh, every time we've had a child, there's, there, you, you prepare for two things. You know, you prepare for the event itself, the delivery itself, okay? And then you prepare for everything's going to happen after that. Like the event itself, it's like, okay, we, know, we got the go bag, right? We got all the clothes. We got the slippers. We got the tea. You know, you got everything she's going to want ever um, right here in this bag, <laughs> all the snacks. And then you've also, you've also got to get this stuff for like the, you got the car seat and the cradle and the, you know, all that stuff like right there to be able to bring them home. But then you're really, during that time, you're mostly preparing for life after the event itself right? Lots of things to get ready. You're putting the crib together. You're painting the nursery. You're reading books about how in the world do I do this thing called parenting because it's tricky. You know, waiting, waiting for the advent of the Lord, I think we have those same two things. We, we prepare by thinking about the event itself when he returns, but then thinking about eternity and what it's going to be like and preparing ourselves for that. I think we don't think about that as much. Now, you think about his actual coming, the return of Jesus. See, there's his arrival. That's, he's going to judge the world. Like, we, we talk about that sometimes. I want to tell you this. You know, we're crying out a lot for justice nowadays. It's going to be a good day. If you're crying out for justice, it's going to be a good day. Because here's what's going to happen. He's going to come and set all things right. So, so those, those victims who, who were falsely accused of something, he's, they're going to be exonerated. And the people who did terrible things and got away with it, and some of you guys had, had people hurt you. And nobody knows about it. Nobody knew about it. And, and, and they got away with it. I'm going to tell you, God saw that. And they will stand before him someday. All the things that were unjust are going to be overturned. It's going to be a good thing. Day. You can't cry out for justice and not prepare for the judge. But it's also a scary day because we ourselves are going to stand before him and give an account. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready? Are you ready to say, I, you know what? I made some real blunders and I have no excuse. So once again, I'm going to throw myself at the feet of Jesus because he told me I could. And isn't that the great, great privilege that we have? The, we have the wonderful privilege of pleading guilty. I'm guilty, I, I, yeah, but I'm with him. He said I could be with him. Are you ready for that day? We talk about that, but we don't often talk about this other part of 
preparing for what happens after Judgment Day. What about the new reality that Christ brings to us? What about that? How can we prepare for that? Now, a couple of months ago, I, uh, I got to go to a, a football game with Doug Sanis. We went to a Ducks game. And it was, it was so fun. And I, I hadn't been to a game in a few years. And you guys, I had forgotten just how awesomely loud Oxen can be. I mean, oh my goodness, it's so great. Like those third downs come, you know? The Ducks are on defense, the third downs come. You know, everybody does the same thing, right? What do they do? Oh, it's like, and it's this wall of waves of sound, you know? And it's, it's hard to hear. And I think, wow, that poor quarterback, that poor offense. See, but here's what that offense probably had to do. When teams come to Autzen, they have to do this with a couple of different teams. When they come to Autzen, they, they got to get ready. They have to acclimate themselves to the sound. You know what they do? A lot of these teams will go and they will pump fake crowd noise in their own stadium during the week because they know they have to get ready for it. Like, we're not going to be able to hear your snap count. That wide receiver is not going to be able to hear you. So you're going to have to work on silent counts. You're going to have to work on hand signals, all of these things. The coaches hate having to do this because, like, well, they can't hear me. They're like, they're not going to be able to hear you in Eugene because Autzen's really, really loud. So get ready for that reality. You have to acclimate yourself, right? We have to acclimate ourselves for eternity as well. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. Here's one way it's going to be different. Revelations 5, 9, and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Isn't that awesome? Every tribe and tongue and language, people, nation. I, I grew up in Youth of the Mission, and in, in the Tyler, Texas base was huge. We had people, we experienced a little bit of this, right? From all over the world, all celebrating every skin tone, all these different languages, all praising God together. You guys, some of you guys who were around in the earlier days of Christ Center when the whole the Alliance um, conferences experienced some of that too. And it's awesome. And I remember in those settings, someone would come and say, you know what? This is what, this is a little taste of eternity. Every tribe and tongue and nation is going to worship God together. So if you don't like diversity, you're going to hate it there. <laughs> so you better get used to it. Like, get used to that. Get used to loving people that don't look like you because that's eternity. That's, that was a good word. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, there's more, though. There's more than just that. There's actually other huge issues, huge things that we need to get ready for. And one of them, one of them is right here in Isaiah chapter 9, a very, very popular passage this time of year. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Peace. Shalom. This is such a huge theme in the prophets and all throughout the New Testament that I, it's kind of a head-scratcher. It should, I feel like it should be a thing that we talk about more often in our modern American, like, Christian subculture. But it seems like it's a, it's a value that we don't hold as high as the New Testament does because it comes up all the time in the New Testament. Like, 
Jesus is always talking about it. Paul and the, the, the apostles are always talking about this. It is a huge theme. But for some reason, it's, it can sort of feel a little bit eye-rolly, you know? And I wonder, here's why I think that is. I really believe this. I, I think it's the hippies. <laughs> can I explain? Let me explain. When I moved from Tyler, Texas, I moved, didn't come here. I went to Mendocino, California, okay? This was massive culture shock, going from the buckle of the Bible belts to a place that was on the hippie trail back in the 70s and still is the hippie trail. Like, it hasn't really changed. It's, <laughs> the people who were, who were hitchhiking with their German shepherds when they were 19 are now in their 70s, but they still got the German shepherd. Um, maybe a different one, probably. And, and a Gandalf hat. Like, this is like, that's the town. And so I was not used to this sort of hippie uh, uh, subculture that was all around me. And it used to drive me a little bit batty. There, for example, <laughs> there's a group of them that would be lined up at a certain spot right by Highway 1, and I'd drive there because we'd go to church and come back, and, and, and they'd be there with their flags and with their signs. It was near the end of the Gulf War, and so they were calling for peace and an end to the, the war, and with their their peace signs and their flags and they're waving and saying honk for peace and all these things. And I would see and I would be like, it's not that easy. And, 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 and one time I'm driving by and I roll the window down and I just yelled at them. <laughs> to this day, you guys, for the life of me, I can't understand why they didn't say, sir, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> <laughs> Yelling at hippies, that's a good way to gender love to your community. I, you know, the problem, you guys, was in my heart, not theirs. It was in my heart, not theirs. But let, let me show you what another verse from Isaiah here, okay? This is what eternity is going to be like, okay? Here's what he says. Isaiah 2. There is a day coming when the mountain of God's house will be the mountain. This is uh, Peterson in the message. The mountain, solid, towering over all the mountains. All nations will river toward it. People from all over set out for it. They'll say, come, let's climb God's mountain. He'll settle things fairly between nations. He'll make things right between many peoples. He'll turn their swords into shovels, their spears into hoes. No more will nation fight nation. They won't play war anymore. Come, family of Jacob, let's live in the light of God. Do you see that? They're turning their swords into shovels. They're turning their weapons into instruments for planting food. Like, that's what eternity is going to be like. And I was rolling my eyes at them. Look, it might be true that many of the people we have called hippies and rolled our eyes at have, a, have some things in their worldview that are maybe a little unrealistic. That, that could be true. They, they, they might think the problems of war are... are too easily solved, but you guys, the great desire for peace itself is not idealistic. It's a kingdom desire, and the reason they have it is because they are created in God's image. That's why they have that desire, that burning inside them to see violence end, that longing that comes from their true home where there is no violence or bloodshed. That is a hunger that is not met in this world. 
which is why I would get so frustrated. But you guys, I should have realized that in this way, their hearts were far more aligned with Jesus than my own. He is the Prince of Peace. And that desire is not a light one. In fact, it should be a core desire in all of our hearts. Bonhoeffer said this, starting out by a quote from Jesus. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. The followers of Jesus have been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace, for he is their peace, but now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make it. <laughs> wow. And to that end, they renounce all violence and tumult. In the cause of Christ, nothing is to be gained by such methods. His kingdom is one of peace, and the mutual greetings of his flock is a greeting of peace. His disciples keep the peace by choosing to endure suffering themselves rather than to inflict it on others. They maintain fellowship. Where others would break it off. Ooh, that's a selah right there, as Joshua would say. They maintain fellowship where others would break it off. That is what followers of Jesus are called to do. And I lost my place. They renounce all self-assertion and quietly suffer in the face of hatred and wrong. In doing so, they overcome evil with good and establish the peace of God in the midst of a world of war and hate. But nowhere will that peace be more manifest than where they meet the wicked in peace and are all and are ready to suffer at their hands. The peacemakers will carry the cross with their Lord, for it was on the cross that peace was made. This is hard. I notice at the end of that quote, we're not all cheering, yeah, because it's hard. And what's he saying here? saying we're called to the ministry of Jesus, which is making peace, which is not retaliating, which is loving our enemies, which is continuing to turn the other cheek, which is to reach out for them, which is to remember the example of Jesus and emulate it. That's not easy, but it is our call. It is our call. And I think, I think it needs to become a higher priority in the church of Jesus Christ. It is our call. Not only to have peace, but to make it. Paul's, Paul's very explicit in Romans 12, 21. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. <sighs> but what about the people that are wrong? Yeah, have, yeah, make peace with them too. And also you're wrong a lot too. But. <laughs> what about the people that are irritating? Yeah, make peace with them. What about the people that voted for the other one? You know what? Make peace with them as well. Yeah, that one too. Yeah. yeah. Like we're not in some sort of like more extreme life than other people. In fact, we're still, we still have an unbelievably beautiful life here, you guys. Like all over the world, people would trade with us in a heartbeat. And we're just supposed to love them and be at peace with them. Like it's a beautiful privilege, but it is not easy. I know it's not easy easy. So how do we live at peace with all men when there's so much tumult, when there's so much argument, when there's so much friction? How do we do that? Well, I think, I think part of the problem is we don't know how to find peace for ourselves sometimes. One more quote. This is from John Main. He starts this way. The source of calm in our daily lives is precisely the life of God within us. The degree 
of peace we possess is directly proportional to our awareness of this fact of life. But to realize this fact as a present reality in our lives, we have to decide that we want to be at peace. This is the reason for the psalmist saying, be still and know that I am God. This deep inner peacefulness is, in a sense, more freely available to us today than it was for the Hebrew poet who wrote that psalm, even if our problems are greater and our pace of life faster than his were. And this is because of the great fact of Jesus. Peace. It's right there for the taking, friends, because Jesus is right here waiting. You can't. You can't make it from scratch. You, you have to go to him. You have to decide that you want it. And as Paul says in Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. Funny, but I was, I was, as I was preparing this sermon, I, I, was, I realized yesterday that I didn't quite have it, and I had the, the structure, but I'm like, something's not right. And here's what was right. I wasn't at peace in here. And I'm like, I can't go and preach a sermon on peace if I'm all tied up in knots. That's just not a good idea. And I think, I think that, that John Main was right. I, I had to make a decision. So we have to decide that we want to be at peace. I had to make a decision because here's the thing. The, the turmoil of the world can be strangely attractive in itself, and it can be a place where we hide. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the angry arguments we see on social media or the, the frustrations with our friends and our neighbors or the doom scrolling in the news that we do. Like... We're so tied up in knots, so what do we do? We keep going and we stay in that place. And sometimes I think there's this, this, sort, of, this sort of twisted comfort in those things. We take comfort in that, and that's, that's not right because there is no comfort there, but we gain energy from it. And here's why I think we, here's why I think we do it. Here's why I do it, because when I do that, it, it lets me hide from the fact that I'm just sad or I'm scared. So I get in these continual loops of behavior, whether it's endless scrolling on Twitter or endless seething about something that person said. There's no peace there, friends. There's no peace there. So I realized yesterday, I have to, I gotta draw close to Jesus. I gotta do this again. And this is what Advent is all about, thankfully. Jesus drew near to us. He came near. He came close. That's what this is about. And he promised us peace. And he says to us, give me those concerns that are making violence in your spirit. Give me those fears that are causing war in your relationships. Bring them to me, and let's be still together. So that's what I did. I put my coat on. I grabbed my dog. Yes, my dog. She loves me the most. And I took a walk. And I just took a walk and just out loud, just told God all the things I was upset about and all the things that I was sad about. Sad about, thinking about Tito. Upset, different things. And, and, and you know, I just, I just told him. I just gave him those things. And do you know what happened? Shalom was restored. I, it's like I... I realized something that I had only discovered 900 times previously. Emmanuel, God with us.
It's a promise. His name is a promise. He is with us. This morning, we're talking about acclimating ourselves and our hearts for eternity. And if you want to embrace the shalom now that you're going to get out there, if you want to embrace shalom in your relationships, if you want to make peace with your neighbor and your family and those with whom you vehemently disagree, some of whom you'll probably be spending the holidays with, if you want to do this well, you must develop in your own heart a pattern and, and, a, and a reminder and an understanding that we come close to Jesus with our concerns and we don't run to the concerns themselves. There is no hiding place in those concerns. You see, to take our concerns, to take our fears, and to take them to him. I want to invite you guys to sit in his stillness now. We're just going to play a little background music. And just want to in invite you to do that, to, to breathe in his goodness. And, and if you have concerns, if you have things that are just nagging at you, just give them to him. Say in the quietness of your spirit, Lord, I want to remind you about this. Can you just take that? from me, and now I receive your peace. So we're just going to take a couple of minutes and make that exchange this morning.